Welcome to Cyburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in the Lupin the Third franchise in mostly chronological order, and, and you have to pour one out for tea time today because, my friends, tea time, tea time is over. It is now officially ladies' night, said said the dude in the group. That feels wrong. <laughs> Someone else take over. <laughs> I don't think I should be announcing this. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Hold on a second. The dude in the group? I'm right here, man. That's true. I'm, I'm sorry. The dude currently speaking is what I should have said. Something important to keep in mind is that of the guys in this conversation, only one of us has actually dressed up as Jeffrey Lebowski. So, <laughs> so technically, you're, you're, you are the dude here. Yeah. I w- yes. Well, the, the, I was. Now, canon, now I am a dude. The canon. <laughs> Well, if, if dude was, like, a picture, it'd be Chris. Let's be real. <laughs> Indeed. I can, live, I can live with that. Indeed. And so this is our continuation of our reaction series to part six, Ladies' Night, to reflect the uh, the uh, <laughs> the the theme of part six, because apparently according to, like, the official, like, you know, PR stuff, the first half was uh, mystery, and this half is woman. So... <laughs> just, they, you know, not even women, just woman. Woman. <laughs> and uh, I guess I should uh, introduce myself. I'm Drew. I'm Chris. I'm Jetlag Natalie. <laughs> I'm Emma. Returning guest once again. <laughs> Hello. We are happy to have you back, and especially happy to have you back. For the first good story episode of Part Six, I mean the 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 start of the <laughs> second half of Part Six. <laughs> it's a uh, episode thirteen, an invitation to the past, and to uh, to kick off our roundtable thoughts about this episode, Emma, how are you feeling about this one? Um, I really, really, really like this one. Uh, there is. A line that Lupin said close, like, I think to the middle to, like, the last part where he says, I like, going back to basics. And I thought that was, like, a really good description of what this episode was basically like as a whole. Um, a lot, it was just fun. There was a lot of banter between, especially Lupin and Jigen, um, Fujiko, too. Uh, Goemon did show up eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. And like as Drew said, it made the episode perfect at that point. Um, there was also just a lot of like little things here and there. Um, the redheaded girls reminded me, like I said to you, Drew, reminded me of like Angel Tactics. So like there were different things with like different parts of specials, which I'm sure will go into the thing I brought up um, while we were watching it. Um that showed up in this episode as well. So I just thought it was really well done, really well written, very funny, but also at the end kind of leaves it on a note to like keep the story going. No, totally. I love how you bring, you bring notes here and put us all to shame because I'm like, oh man, I didn't prepare. <laughs> Fuck, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> One of us here is the professional. Perpetually the person just pushing up my glasses. Like, <laughs> actually. 
<laughs> what am I without my pack of notes? <laughs> that obnoxious <laughs> laugh just adds, like, you know, the the perfect chef's kiss to that. All right, so uh, since this is ladies' night, obviously, ladies first. Uh, Natalie, how did you feel about this episode? I did enjoy it. I mean, you know, I kind of want to just save my reservations for what's coming up with this overarching storyline because I, you know, like many, I had the mistake, not mistake, but I just had this, you know, like, what do you call it? This like um, enthusiasm with the last storyline because like I mentioned with Will, because it was done with Maurice Blanc, I was really hoping that like, the Lupin versus Sherlock done by Lupin the third was going to be epic. And then to get, you know, what we got, I was like, maybe I shouldn't have been too enthusiastic, which is kind of like my reservations about the start of the storyline here. But I didn't, but overall, like first episode wise, I did enjoy it. I do think it's a much better episode of um, part six overall than the other episodes. Um, I do like this new villainess. I believe her name is Mercedes. They really don't, at least I don't recall that they emphasized her name at all in this episode. My only question is why does she look, why are like all her henchwomen like, you know, yeah, like why do they all look alike? Her girls remind me of like the Austin Powers bots all look alike. like just single white females, so. Um, but yeah, that's just like my only question about it. And also, um, the, I guess the Bond girl of the week, who is this young woman who got hit in the head, all of what's that one character from that one movie I can't even think about. I do apologize. I am super tired. I am super jet lagged and yeah, but, but overall it's, it's really well done. I enjoyed it. Um, I do like this new villainess. I do like the cute girl that Lupin tried to save before she got hit with a rock and a forehead for amnesia. And also, I will be saying this throughout the storyline, thinking that somewhere in Japan, <laughs> one of the writers for TMS is writing my fan fiction. I see you. Um, however, their twist of like Lupin's mom supposedly stealing a treasure was not something I thought of when writing Lupin's mom. So yeah, kudos for that twist right yeah, there. So it can't be a direct rip from what you wrote. <laughs> Not necessarily. Cause like, I see what they're trying to do and I'm like, this, this is so much like my story. And then they get to that one twist and I'm like, okay, okay. So it's not really a complete rip off. So meanwhile, yeah. Nat Natalie's watching the episode. She's just like, you bastards. I did it first. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I did it first. I will admit um, that certain plot point that I wrote is kind of a deviation from this one old film I used to like as a kid. Other than that, that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice indeed. So, Chris, how did you feel about it? Um, I'm going to echo everybody else here. I really liked it. Um, it. It really felt like, you know, like the gear has shift has shifted. Like there's a big tonal change, which I think is reflected in, in the opening, which is pretty much the same as it was, except they got rid of the uh, loop on the edge sword filter in the uh, opening <laughs> and closing shots. And uh, yeah, I really like that. 
I saw a tweet where someone suggested that Lupin's Disguise was supposed to be Monkey Punch, which would be really cool, but I, I doubt that's the case. Mm. Tonally, I really liked it. There's there's a whole lot of action going on, a whole lot of mysteries introduced. But whenever it, it tried for humor, I thought it I thought it nailed it completely. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Fujiko refusing Lupin's advances by just decking him. <laughs> that, that that got a big laugh out of me. I also really liked the translation of a. Uh, you know, Jigen's skepticism as being, is setting off my bullshit detector. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure, uh, Drew, you're going to touch on this, but I really like seeing them actually plan the heist. Because, I mean, something I feel like is missing from a lot of Nupon stuff in general is, you know, heist, capers, you know, actual thefts. And so, I, you know, I always really enjoy seeing that. And actually getting to see them plan it and piece it together at, that was really cool. Yeah. To add on that note from Chris, like what I remember from rewatch, what I remember from first watching the episode and kind of rewatching it a little bit as I was falling asleep earlier is that this is probably one of the first well done, like exposition heists for Lupin that we've had in a while, because oh, yeah. it is a series about capers. It is a series about heists. And for us to not have that for a while and to have it very well done in this was a nice breath of fresh air that we were missing for quite a while in the franchise, right. I feel. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice return to form. I, I liked oh, yeah. it a lot. Yeah, definitely. Drew, what about you? So, yeah, I'm going to just echo what everybody else said. This, again, I, 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 I try to pace myself to not get hyperbolic on this show, but I think this might actually be like the most well-paced episode of part six, just like balancing genuinely exciting action, humorous character moments, and then like surprisingly quiet, like dramatic moments. Like the moment when Lupin mm-hmm. goes out on the roof after seeing the diamond that like jogs his memory and Jigen comes out to check on him and lights his cigarette to just have a conversation with just like the wind blowing and them like looking over New York. That was, I, I was surprised we got like, some solid moments like that. And also introducing a supporting character and not having him take up like 75% of the entire story was also nice. It was like, I don't know. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it seemed to me like, like the perfect amount of screen time to introduce all these new characters with like plenty more to come. And like the, the, the little teases of all of the future of women who are going to be a part of the series, like all of the people you see like around the, uh, around New York and across the world, like seeing this altercation take place, you get these little glimpses of it. Like it was a perfect little tease. Um, like tonally as, as, as Chris mentioned, like the humor was pitch perfect, like from the get go that, that after the, like the opening action scene, the bit of uh, Lupin criticizing uh, Jigen's cooking for him having too much free time and then like not doing anything <laughs> and Jigen putting him in all these variety of like headlocks including like that one from Cagliostro which is a nice little touch you know I, you know, I was going to say as far as you know, I I feel like I get onto this franchise a lot nowadays for how often it goes back to Cagliostro but mm-hmm. I didn't mind that one I didn't mind that callback yeah, that, that I actually really enjoyed because yeah. I also had Lupin like Stretching Jigen's arms, <laughs> right, and freaking right. drawing. Yeah, he, manages, he manages the reverses on him, which I thought right. was great. Uh, I mean, 
he's also ragging on him probably because like what I said to you, Drew, it's like he used a whole bottle of fucking ketchup. To <laughs> that wasn't ketchup. That was a red sauce. Oh my god! Like, it says ketchup on the bottle. It says, it says ketchup on the <laughs> bottle. <laughs> that's what. So I thought it was very funny like, because 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 Lupin's because oh, Jigen's like bragging about it. like he's like man like I've become such a good cook like I've had, like I really had time to hone it as it just cuts to a beautiful close-up of a ketchup bottle you're like well, <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> i mean you can cook with ketchup but i i mean i do enjoy house housewife jigen because it mm-hmm. just confirms my headcanon that jigen is the like jigen and guaymar are the only ones who cook very well <laughs> in that gang fujiko can't cook for shit lupon's just like mediocre yes. It's Jigen and it's Jigen and Guaymon that are very much like the Gorman days of the group, and I and I'm and I stand it. I stand housewife Jigen. Jigen's probably like Gordon Ramsay. You fucking donkey. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not dogging on anybody for using ketchup in things, but. I use ketchup on my turkey meatloaf because you're supposed to use ketchup on meatloaf. Yeah, no, ketchup is great, but like a whole bottle in sauce, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, at least he ain't putting butter in it like in freaking Honey Boo Boo, so. (laughs) On that topic of, of like the tone being really well balanced, like I actually think it like shifted tones at like the exact moment that like it was i don't know if i don't know if needed to but like at, at, i'm trying to think of the best way to word this like the tone was like really well paced if that makes any sense like the moment like you get this this humorous moment this character interaction in the minute that lupin sees the uh the unknown diamond on the tablet and like he just goes quiet and goes on the rooftop and it's like okay mm-hmm. they, 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 we're gonna get like a little more serious and we get like a little bit of exposition not too much ex- exposition it was like just exactly it's just enough to like make you interested in what this story is going to be without like giving you an info dump and then going straight yeah into... it's not a go ahead go ahead no but i was just gonna say it's not a mamado oshi ex um pacing <laughs> or exposition dump but it just There's... goes short sweet into the point uh, you know for better or worse as, yeah. as much as as much as I love Oshi's exposition, I like this a little better. Also, that scene of uh, Lupin and Jigen—I mentioned this before—on like overlooking the New York skyline. I thought was a callback to Lady Liberty. Oh yeah, I, 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 like. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. that <laughs> Chris is like, wait a minute, wait. Oh, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, the moment after our our beloved favorite supporting character Rooster passes away, you know, Rooster. Yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace, Rooster. It's okay, Rooster. You got a really great Alice in Chains song. Yeah, no, it's one of my favorite <laughs> shots in like any of the specials. So when I first saw that scene in this episode, I was like, that reminds me of the Lady Liberty shot where they're on the bridge. Except yeah, obviously yeah. it's not like dark. It's like the sun is setting, but it felt really, really similar to that. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, really- you know, that may have been a way of you know, subtly implying that they're going to a back to basics approach. Because right. Lady, Lady Liberty was the first TV special. This is true. Right. Yeah. And one of the best. And Agreed. like you've mentioned before, I've always like, would I always really enjoy when they have callbacks to other things that aren't 
Cagliostro. <laughs> right? It's nice, isn't so, it? So, like, if this is truly a callback <laughs> to Lady Liberty, that, like, really excites me because I'm not even sure that that has ever even been done. Mm-mm. Which I, I mean, like. It'd be, it'd be sort of like the references to uh, Hattie Mao in uh, Part 5. Oh, right. Yeah. Nice. Well, which co- completely blindsided me. <laughs> of all the specials. Right. It's like, I didn't think anybody else liked that one. <laughs> Again, like, I equate Part 5 kind of like... um. If you're like a hardcore Carmen Sandiego fan like I am, like you watched the cartoon growing up, you've played all the games, which I have, um, you would wa- and then you watch the recent Netflix adaptation where they go different with her character. They still make her a phantom thief, but they make her a phantom thief for good, which I wasn't really down with. And then they add these elements that like, unless you are a true fan of the series you know these callbacks but then it kind of it kind of takes yeah it kind of takes you off because like they made chase davino from the math and word detective games kind of like a dunce version of zenigata in the netflix version um zach and ivy who were the protagonists of the cartoon series are regulated to carmen's sidekicks and that's kind of like the callbacks that they make for the franchise and that and then there's like little easter eggs here and there that's part five for me because unless you are unless you've seen almost every little thing of lupon the third those Easter eggs in part five are going to have you like that Leo DiCaprio um, gif of like, yes, yes, I understood that reference right there, right there, right there. Um, See, that was me during uh, the Assassins Gathered in the Wasteland. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, like, I've only watched (laughs) Liberty once, so I couldn't really see that connection. My only thing that I enjoyed is like, I don't mind it when the gang always goes back to New York. I feel that that's an overused setting in the franchise, but whatever. It's an overused setting in Hollywood. Um, but again, I, I, I like it. I like how now they're going from London to New York. So I'm mm-hmm. not really complaining that much. Yeah. Put, put them to, to Detroit and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to come back to the Bay Area. I know they're not going to go to like Oakland, but I do. <laughs> 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 that that makes that make for some interesting storytelling, but no, like put them back in San Francisco. Hell, put them in Silicon Valley. Just you know, I don't know. Have Lupin try to like fuck over Mark Zuckerberg, the real one. I totally watch that. I'm trying to think. Have, has the gang ever gone to Kentucky? Sadly, no. No, that, that, I don't really I mean, think they would. But I they mean, do have I mean, horse races in. Yeah, in, in, in part two, I remember that. Yeah, but I'm not sure if that was Kentucky. Yeah, I think they mentioned the Derby, but yeah, it's 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 weird. You know, you think they would have hit up Fort Knox at some point, or they could have like you know, they could have been like um. I remember this one episode on where in where on earth is Carmen San Diego, where there was a villain that was very much um, Confederate themed, not in a bad way, but it's just like he was Confederate themed because his name was. Um, was Mason Dixon, and he was trying to go back in time and reverse the Civil War. Like, I mean, yeah. I was I was like Lupin to, like, maybe go to the South just to fuck over, like, some Confederate statue. Aye, aye, aye. Goes to Atlanta to the varsity just to get, like, a chili dog. <laughs> I mean, didn't they technically go to um uh 
I'm trying to remember, didn't they go, the, technically, technically they went to Atlanta or Atlantis in Pharaoh to Nostradamus because it's, that, because it's that like Olympics thing and it was like the year that the oh, Olympics yeah. were. Let me make sure right quick. That is. Quick, I want to make sure if it was Atlanta or not because I, I, I have this one comment about Atlanta. Atlanta or Atlantis. Let me see. It's Atlantis. That is a whole. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Atlanta because that it would make sense that there'd be a presidential candidate from Atlanta. <laughs> okay, so it says Maria mentions the 1994 <laughs> World Cup in 1996. Yeah, the 1996 were held at the Douglas Foundation. 1996 were held in Atlanta, Georgia. So, so is the Douglas building yeah. in Atlanta, Georgia? Okay, so in that case, don't come back to Atlanta because the last time we came back, we got Nostradamus to pay out. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. And a building freaking collapsed. No varsity hot dogs for you. Stay so, away from my state. Speed, speed the kudzu takes over enough. Uh, so speaking of like like the exposition, um, in there, I I wrote um, show us baby Lupin, you cowards. I want. I want. I would like to see the baby. <laughs> Wouldn't it just be compelling if if Baby Lupin had sideburns too? Yes. I we wrote that. Would he have sideburns? According, according to the manga, so, he did and not. I wrote. Sometimes I forget my dad wasn't born with facial hair. So, so wait, Chris, Chris, what happened in the manga? According to the manga, Baby Lupin did not have facial hair. Not God have damn it. No! Oh, he, had like, he had like a weird boat, that sort of thing. Would he look like a baby monkey, though? <laughs> Not particularly. Like I said, he had like a boat oh. boat. It was weird. Well, that just loses the appeal. <laughs> Maybe make, make some adaptational changes. Give, give him some sideburns. Play a little fast and loose. That was, Nobody's gonna that was like it. literally one of the, the things I caught and thought during like him telling Jigen about that. I was like, I would like to see the baby. <laughs> Honestly, I, I would like Baby Lupin to look like um, uh, that scene in the uh, the Lupin versus Conan movie when like the like the little lady has that Lupin <laughs> head on, where she's gonna be like a little body but just a giant Lupin head. The George Lopez approach. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it was like the like the George Lopez where whenever they did the flashbacks, it was just like the adult heads on kids. Yeah, that was, that was terrifying. That was crazy. <laughs> You took me down memory lane, Drew. Oh my god! I I always look forward to the flashbacks on that show for that reason. Yeah, but no. Um, it's funny now that I think about it. Going back to my stupid fanfic, whenever I did imagine a kid Lupin, I, I know young boys don't start growing facial hair at seven years old. Logically, you know that. Logically, I know this. And like whenever I see a photo of my dad as a young young child, I'm like, well, yeah, that would make sense, but it just feels wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, going off topic for a second here. This reminds me of my uh, my cousin who is uh, 15 now, and when he was younger, we for some reason we made up a story about his older brother and about how this guy was born with a full beard. And tattoos. And then after, <laughs> and then after being born, he high fived the doctor, and then then walked out of the hospital on his own, stole a motorcycle. It it became this whole epic thing to the point where my cousin was like, "You know, I think I like the I think I like our fake baby version of my brother better than I do the real thing." <laughs> but that's completely Lupin irrelevant. Came out. That's how Lupin came out. <laughs> 
<laughs> just high five the doctor like right. on the ice want to come with me <laughs> oh, my, oh my god they're like they're swallowing baby lupine he's like he's about to say his first word would you go child <laughs> what? I mean, I mean, it's first word vodka because that was my first word. <laughs> but, um, going back to the episode, though, um, I really like the fact that we're bringing Arsene Lupin back into this, at least indirectly, because yeah. Yeah. I'm always I'm always a sucker for that kind of thing. Oh yeah, no agreed. Because I am a fan of Arsene Lupin himself. At at first, I was like a little like on the fence about like getting to know more about Lupin's mother and stuff. Because I was like, I really like the ambiguity behind it. Agreed. Um, It's the same thing with Halloween. I think Lee and I, I think you and I talked about this. Like, it's the same thing with that. Like, what makes Michael Myers scary in like the '75? Or like the seventies films, 75, 78. Mm-hmm. I think. Seventy-eight. Um, I think. Was that you? Don't know why <laughs> this is yeah, happening. He's just, he's just pure he's, evil, right? Whereas, like the Rob Zombie films, like give him a backstory, and it just like completely takes the allure for it from me. So, well, like, kind of like why I was on the fence about this. But I don't know, like the way this episode kind of framed it, like I'm a little like, more excited. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't mind at all having ambiguity, but like with the Michael Myers thing, it's like I com- like okay with the horror story beginnings. I compared I compared like the Rob Zombie Michael Myers films to what Dom Mancini is doing with the Chucky series. Like Michael, like trying to give Michael Myers a really shitty backstory, like he came from a white trash family and he just saw violence in his youth, is kind of cliche and overdone, and I don't like it. Right, whereas like. Yeah, whereas, like, Don Mancini and what he did with the recent Chucky series and that, you know, when Chucky's explaining to to Jake, like, how he became a killer, he, you know, he always just had this inclination in him. He was a psychopath ever since he was a child. And spoiler alert for the Chucky series, but, you know, like, you see that his first kill was actually his mother and he actually reveled in it and he was a kid. It's like, that is more compelling as much as I love the ambiguity, that is more compelling than just straight up, I grew up in a trashy family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's more frightening. Whereas with Lupin, because like with, with a franchise that spans years and there's no continuity, I liked that we didn't really get ever get backstory for Lupin's mom. And it made right. me to write compelling fan fiction about it. However, that does not mean I will not enjoy what they're going to do with this and bringing in like you know chris i think one of the things you and i also um enjoy is whenever they bring arsene lupin into the fold mm-hmm. because we both love the novel we both love yeah. this, um what maurice leblanc did with the with the prototype of the character and um you know having him involved in lupin's life somehow it, it is wonderful storytelling when it's done right, right. so mm-hmm. i don't mind that at all i don't mind not really having any more ambiguity Right. But it also wouldn't surprise me if there is going to be ambiguity with this. If kind of like, mm-hmm. um, kind of like Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, where you think the Joker's backstory is yeah, what yeah, we're being presented okay. with. At the end, the Joker's like, I don't know. Some days, some days, this is my backstory. Other days, if I'm going to have a past, I'd rather it be multiple choice. Thank yeah. you. And I have a this. Okay, if it does happen <laughs> that I fucking called it out. 
<laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. Well, now, something, That'd be I, interesting. something I think is worth pointing out is that Lupin the Third's mother is brought up a few times in Monkey Punch's manga. Let's see, there's a, ch- I think, chapter 88 of the original series, which was Tokyo Pop Call Cue the Trouble. Lupin the Third meets up with uh, his dad, his grandfather, as well as his mother. And he's shown to be really close to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, one of my favorite chapters of Shin Lupin, which was actually, it's actually in that uh, recent collection by uh, Seven Seas. Also, apologies if I sound odd. I, I may be drunk. But uh, <laughs> you are uh, going to hear, folks. But, but anyway, yeah, there's a chapter where uh, a member of the Rat Clan has disguised himself as Lupin III and is trying to get into a vault that was locked up by Arsene Lupin. And it turns out that the key to opening the vault is the uh, lullaby that Lupin III's mother sang to him when he was a baby. Also, spoilers if you haven't read the great, the Greatest Heist collection. I apologize. You should read it anyway. It's a great story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was kind of neat that, uh, you know, Lupin still knows that melody and the rat disguises him didn't. So, yeah, I always saw Lupin III as being uh, fairly close to his mom. Mm-hmm. At least, yeah. in the, at least in the manga. In the preview that they show, like when he addresses her, like I think he calls her mom. Like it's a more casual translation huh. of it, which I mean is usual, pretty typical for Lupin. Like I've heard that multiple times that like his Japanese as a character is like more <laughs> loose. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I think from my understanding, Lupin. Lupin tends to talk more like a gangster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, his, the way he, like, addresses his mom is also, like, looser, but also, like, in a way, like, more, like, fond mm-hmm. of each other. So, yeah, like, I, that was just something, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case, like, just based off of what you're saying in the manga, because, Chris, you'd know far more about that than I would. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, she's not mentioned very often, but... Yeah. But, yeah, but when she is, it, it is kind of like, it kind of does leave this impact that, I mean, like, just from a psychological standpoint, it doesn't surprise me that Lupin would have been a mama's boy. And I'm not saying that in a in a negative or bad way or anything. It's just yeah. because I've dated a lot of mama's boys. And, you know, they kind of do remind me of like, of, of Lupin in a sense. And not to go back, I'll, I'm always going to go back to this, but in my own story, because I did take that element from the manga, that storyline with the with the tune, you know, like yeah, the safe that opens by a yeah, that opens by a lullaby. I, I I used that, but in a different way. What I imagined with him having a relationship with his mom is that it was very close. He, that she was probably like the one consistent thing in his life, along with his grandfather. In what I'm trying to see, what I'm seeing so far of this plot that something happened tragically to her, I did the mm. same thing, except I did the fucked up thing of her being murdered in front of a young him, so that left him some trauma. Yeah, that'll and, do. <laughs> and my thing is, along with what his grandfather taught him, it wouldn't surprise me that Lupin's mom would have been some sort of actress. So I made her, and and again, this ties into, mm-hmm. you know, what I studied in college. I made her an opera singer because if you're going to be a melodramatic actress, 
there is no other form of melodrama acting than than opera and maybe he learned some skills from watching her and it would not surprise me that'd be kind of cool that would be an interesting angle of that like is the case mm-hmm. like if he learned like like acting skills that way i mean how else would you kind of like learn like be a natural at that well, the other explanation I put for that would be like if you've ever watched Game of Thrones and how like Arya Stark goes to like the House of Black and White to learn the skills of the faceless man. This whole trope of like of uh, masters of disguise who strip away their identity and literally become the person they're impersonating. Like I do see this thing of like the original Arsene Lupin playing what is known as the game of faces with Lupin, where it's like, okay, tell me your scenario. Well, I'm a young boy. I'm a homeless boy. I live on this encampment every day. I turn right smack on the hand. I turn left, you know, that, that sort of thing. Well, I do think it's worth pointing out that in uh, Maurice LeBlanc's novels, LeBlanc himself is actually a character in them sometimes. Serving as as sort of like the Watson to, uh, you know, Lupin, like, you know, anyway, that made more sense in my head. But <laughs> something, that, something, that, something that LeBlanc points out, though, is that every time he meets Arsene Lupin, the man has, like, a completely different appearance. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh-huh. like, you know, he, he mentions, like, he's never looked at the same face twice. And, you know, we get a little bit of that in Part 5 with Lupin III, when he unmasks himself, you know, towards Fujiko, but that's a whole different thing. But I am really curious, though, if... Uh, you know, how close they're going to stick to uh, monkey punches, you know, work as far as this goes. Yeah. Because, again, like I said, Lupin III's mother, she wasn't really a major character. As far as I know, she only appeared in one chapter. Mm-hmm. Or one or two. Two. Yeah, that's right. Because, that, yeah, Tad Hoshia posted that one, uh, like a two-page spread featuring Lupin's mother. I'm rambling. Somebody else talk. Um, that's okay. <laughs> Honestly, I honestly think, like, all this stuff we're bringing up about, like, his mother playing a big part in his past, like, I think that's really on track and, like, even hinted at in the dialogue near the end of this episode when uh, when Mercedes confronts Lupin and shows that she got the diamond, she, like, pretty much criticizes him, like, you know, like, you know, she expected more from someone who sought the instruction of uh, Tomoe, which, like, so yeah. if he sought instruction yeah. from her, like, obviously she played some big part in his thieving skills. So like honestly, like I'm curious how far they're gonna go with it, but I'm really excited to see because like when she says that, he like shuts down. For and again, I I love the direction yeah. of this episode. When she leaves, I love that yeah. moment of him just sitting there quietly, just kind of like processing it. And even like Jigen's trying to snap him out of it, and he's just not. Right. Also, yeah. like props to Kenichi Kurita in this one because like his performance is incredible in those moments when like you buy oh, it. Yeah, totally. When like he gets shaken up. It's so good. It's a it's a different like it's a different character um, character development for Lupin because mm-hmm. it's like and again going back to what I've written I've done that too like that that once once it's mentioned that Lupin's trying to figure out whom or what murdered his mom it's just that tonal shift that whole like once it's something personal you go you go from the normal sweet and goofy Lupin to like. You, you know, this is something that is clearly affecting him. So, yeah, like you brought up Kenichi Kurata's um, acting in that one and, and, and the tonality. And I'm just like, yeah, like 
a lot of people keep forgetting that this man has excellent range like yeah oh, no yeah. i was just like thinking that i was like not even just this episode but just as like a whole because this character has to be extremely difficult to perform mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah even from a comedic standpoint this episode's a great example of it but i mean that's just like one p like drop in a bucket uh right. because mm -hmm. yeah you do have your silly domestic moments um, when he like he's bouncing at Fujiko. Oh my god! He's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I loved it. Um, and then like when he's tired in his little pajamas and his little hat, and then like at the <laughs> then at the end when it's like yeah, complete tonal shift. It's like he's complaining so like <laughs> man of many faces, I guess. So I, it has to be extremely difficult to play this character and like he like almost seems to do it with ease so yeah, yeah. well i mean he's oh, been yeah. doing it for over 25 years but oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. i mean but you know even aside from that though like yeah i mean like i liked him before you know i thought he was a great you know successor to uh, yasuo yamada but i think it was the fujiko series that i really started to realize you know how much you know great acting ability he has as his character Oh, yeah. yeah, agreed. Mm -hmm. Because it's um it's a complete 180 in Woman Called Fujiko Mine. There there are comedic moments, right. but it, it is more gritty, it is more hardcore, it is more like film noir y. But so. at the same time, Lupin himself doesn't really change to reflect that. He's still Lupin a third. And I love that mm -hmm. about that series. Mm -hmm. Right. This is great. Yeah, which is why I mean I'm going off on another tangent here. Forgive me, I've had a lot to drink, but uh, <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but something I really like though about the woman called Fujiko Mine is that by making Lupin a third not the main character, I came to really look forward to his appearances. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't there every episode. So every time he would appear, I'm like, okay, great. My boy's here. This is going to be awesome. And it was. Always <laughs> the truth. Yeah. I think, I think with like, the women called Fujiko Mine and even with the Koeki films, it's just um it's a different shift in dichotomy for all the characters. Because, you know, you see it not just in Women Called Fujiko Mine, you see it in the other series as um how the characters can go from like their normal selves to um to complete tonal shifts and it works. But never is it ever more compelling than in Women called Fujiko Mine and in the Koike films. Right. Um, Speaking of thing that wasn't a tonal shift, that note that Lupin left. Oh my oh, yeah. god! <laughs> that was oh, all the auction It's like Teddy. He didn't need to write it like that. No, no, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. That is something I would totally do. By the way, see <laughs> him writing this note like. <laughs> Like, I laugh because the way Lupin wrote that is how I write on the internet. Like, I'm gonna just get all the trust for me. No, this this just I'm confirms that I am a female version of Lupin and I am down <laughs> for this. So, I mean, I, I could just picture him like writing that and chuckling to himself at the fact that then a guy is gonna have to read it. Yep, <laughs> you can hear the giggle <laughs> that like, like happened when he yep, wrote it. I'm yeah, right. It's just like put a few more L's, L's in here just to piss them off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can isn't a god. I, I love that. 
I, I I loved Zenigata's like his his well worn like like I loop it like there's no way Lupin's getting out of this just like so he's like all right everyone in single file we're pinching your face it doesn't matter like this is, <laughs> I've dealt with this shit for like fifty years I know what to do. <laughs> Which was, Zenigata's like just not having it like he <laughs> yeah. he's just like fucking serious business like okay. I don't care if this hurts. We're doing this because I'm just fucking dumb. I really, I really like how a lot of the uh, Nupon stuff, you know, writes Zenigata because, like, you know, he is very damn good at his job. Yep. You know, he he is incredibly competent. It's just, but he still ends up to butt of the joke. And yep. Right. I like that. His competency. Um, is regarded in buffoonery for others but you know and i mentioned this when excuse me and i mentioned this in um the part where you know i mentioned this last week when i talked about it with will that zenigata is not like a a complete buffoon he is competent at his job he does what he does very well um it's and if i had to trust any other cop in this world, it would be Zenigata. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like, too, um, when Jigen's talking about the flowers, Lupin's like, from me, with love. <laughs> oh, yeah, that extra gay shit. <laughs> yes. Get out of here. And Jigen just turns him down like, sorry, not interested. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I wrote Pajama Boys. They've shown them multiple times in their PJs. Oh yeah, in this part I've noticed. Oh yeah, especially about, about, about. Have, what? No, but they have very alternated PJs, and I know where you're going with this, Drew. <laughs> oh yeah, like like my favorite appearance of, of these pajamas were in uh, what was it was it the Black Diamond or the Black Jewel that flashback yeah. when I'm uh when. Like, the, like they're just sitting there talking. He's like, "Why are we here?" He's like, "Oh yeah, Lupin remembers something late at night and just cusses him like jolting awake and waking up poor Jigen on the balcony." He's like, "Guys, little sleeping cap on." It's a great. It, it reminds me of. Yeah, uh, yeah. It reminds me. I think it's Ice Robot. I think we mentioned this last time too. Where yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. You, you see Lupin and Jigen in their pajamas for early in the morning. It's cute. See, in Babylon, I think Jigen's in like pajamas yes he is goemon is absolutely not ass out <laughs> like when they open the door after like yeah, it's like <laughs> one of these things Wait. is not like the other <laughs> um we mentioned it earlier, and like, 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 since you mentioned all the stuff involving Lupin's mother, like, back to like, like the uh, the plot and kind of how it moves in the episode. I, I loved the like intricate like step by step process of them preparing for this heist. Like like it was so well mm-hmm. laid out. Everything made sense. There was like foreshadowing with Lupin spotting the flowers in the exhibit and then right. using his little uh his little his little ladybug robots, which I, I you got handed Lupin like Ever since Fuma conspiracy, like he he made his, he, he made his, like his little beetle robot, and they've gotten progressively smaller and like more more efficient. Like he's he's been he's, he's honing his skills since 1987. I appreciate it. Oh, actually, actually, it, it can go back farther than that. Ooh, what? Uh, uh, episode uh, seven, part one. Has, oh yeah, uh, we, I ladybug. just watched that last night. Yep, because he has the, the little ladybug, <laughs> the, the, yep. the, the little ladybug bug. 
you got to give credit to his to his competency with robotics because he didn't even need like a magnifying glass to work on what he was doing, right. which makes me think that one of his eyes is still um, a prosthetic, like in Shin Lupin or in um, <laughs> oh god, was it Shin Lupin? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was Shin Lupin. Yeah, it was the uh, San Francisco. Is, is his eye technically like a prosthetic in Jigen's gravestone? No, no, he no, just no, attached like little yeah. wires. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually not sure if his eye is a prosthetic in a Shen Lupin because I've never read that story, you know, in a language that wasn't Japanese. So technically, I, I haven't read it at all. The pictures were nice. I like the pictures. Yeah, these are nice. <laughs> that was like when I played Mario Party Three. I was like, I don't know what's happening. I still won, but I didn't know what was going on. You know, you know, not to get like too spicy, but like one thing that like, you know, one thing that whole scene proves like, you know, no magnifying glass, everything's smooth, you know, Lupin, very good with his hands, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. Um, uh, I think you do. Don't get started. <laughs> it is don't, don't get Lupin started. It is 11. Lupin, if Lupin is regarded as like an amazing lover, he's got to be good with his hands. Look at like, those fingers. Are you, what are you? It speaks for itself. Exactly. And with that, good night. I'll be in my bunk. Hold <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. on, hold on. I can hear a little more. So, uh, okay, so hello and welcome to Cyburns and Fingertips, a Loop on the Thirst podcast. A podcast about <laughs> <laughs> Cyburns and Cigarettes after dark. <laughs> after hours. <laughs> okay, okay, so quick no- no- note that I put down how did they manage to use the nbc logo that, it, 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 either it was nbc or msnbc yeah, same fucking difference but yeah, yeah no i agree they're owned by uh nbc universal so. i think it, it has it's ever so slightly different with like a little like ring in it it's kind of like i just watched project Aiko the other night and there's a moment where someone kicks a can that okay. says dr bepper so, like, you know, it's, it's that same approach <laughs> <laughs> i'm so excited to get this movie Man, I gotta watch Project Echo. Oh yeah, god, I'm that's so good. <laughs> but you point that out, Emma, and I was like, I again, I'm I remember bits and pieces of the episode. Again, I'm just like I've been super tired ever since I've I've come I've come back and trying to acclimate to California time with the nine hour time difference. But I just remember kind of like jolting up awake, like, is that the MSNBC logo? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Hold on, Nat. Are you trying to get back on San Dimas time? Because the clock in San Dimas is always ticking. Ted, remember to wind your watch. (laughs) Sorry. You try being on a 13-hour flight and technically being up for 24 hours, okay? I will not, but thank you for suggesting it. (laughs) That sounds awful. (laughs) No, thank you, ma'am. But what I really appreciated was, like, it, it, it took its time to be, you know... And I've mentioned this before. It took its time to be an episode of Lupin the Third about yep. Lupin the Third yes. and the gang. And then at the end, wasn't that nice? We get this whole setup with the heist. We realize how it's going to go with the logistics star. That's when the whole thing gets turned on its head, and we get this very fascinating mystery, like like the whole thing, like with Mercedes. Why do they all look right. the same? Why are they all hot? You know, many questions to be asked. Many <laughs> questions I want answered. <laughs> Who are all these? Who who are who are all these mysterious women? Like like, what's up with Lupin's mom? Th- like this mystery is, and no disrespect to the first half. If any of you, if anyone listening, enjoyed the first half of part six, that's okay. It's valid. 
If you dislike mm-hmm. the first half of part six for valid reasons, it's okay. It's valid. Let's move on. But that being much, said, but this was more fun. Oh, this was more fun, and this is a so much more compelling yes. mystery. Like the Raven uh, stuff was interesting, yeah, but this is stuff that actually involves like the Lupin gang and Lupin's past. Right. Not like all right. did you know about ten years ago in London? This this shit happened. It's like no, I didn't. I guess I'm going to, or maybe not. I guess <laughs> bye. Uh, it's like, it's like, why was Lily so terrified? Oh, never mind. We already figured that out four weeks ago. Oh, well, God. Lupin was on the couch reading the paper. I, he seemed to, he was just bored. But like <laughs> <laughs> how we all were. But what I was trying to say is like, I, I, you gotta have to understand, listeners, what we were coming from. Like, if you remember our first two episodes of Tea Time, in terms of like what we were expecting with the Lupin versus Sherlock storyline. Um, it's not, you know, we weren't disillusioned. We were pretty much very excited because mm-hmm. of what we were given. But as the series progressed, the reason why some of us, not all of us, you know, speaking for Guillaume and whatnot, mm-hmm. the reason why some of, a lot of us were kind of like disillusioned was just because what it was progressing to was something that we weren't that we kind of didn't wanted and we kind of expected more it's not like we expected perfection or anything we just expected something different i mentioned it when i talked with guillaume last week i love the um arsene lupin versus sherlock holmes shit written by maurice leblanc so much so that i even love the video game that they did of it a couple of years ago that you can still buy on steam by the way um, which is Sherlock Holmes versus Arsene Lupin. I thought it was called Nemesis. Yeah, Nemesis, Nemesis. But you can buy it on Steam. It's a lot of fun. It's very challenging. Book and watching them anyways, everywhere. It's hilarious. Yes. Anyways, <laughs> I was really looking forward to what what Lupin the Third would do with Sherlock Holmes because it had been done before, and I was and I was hoping it was something better than what we got. So, again. I could be eating up my words in a couple of weeks like I was the first time. But the first episode of this overarching storyline is, you know, is compelling. It's well done. It's engaging. That being said, I have high hopes for it because it's a different showrunner. Mm-hmm. And they might know how to work with this formula. But at the same time, if they fall into the same mistakes as the Lupin versus Sherlock storyline... Will I be upset? We shall see. Will Will I bitch about it? Not really. Will I still watch Lupin the Third and not have a visceral reaction? Yes, because again, I will eat these cold chicken nuggies. I enjoy these cold chicken nuggies, and you can't stop me. Right. <laughs> you know, we don't record a weekly reaction series because you know we hate something. That's not why we're. That's not why we're mm-hmm. here. That's not why we started the show. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's it's okay to be honest. And like fairly critique something when it disappoints you. There's nothing wrong with that. If you do have an issue with that, I'm going to quote David Lynch, David Lynch's character, Gordon Cole from Twin Peaks The Return. Fix your hearts or die. Um, moving on. No, no I, I, just think, I just think of the, you, would you elaborate on that? No. No. Just <laughs> <laughs> that really smug look. No. No. <laughs> well, there's just so many parts of this episode that, like, like Lisa at the beginning, that we've just been missing out on, just as a whole. Uh, the girls colliding in air 
with the jetpacks. Oh. <laughs> yeah, poor one out for all the Mercedes uh, people, like, right. like shot in the back by Lupin, getting like straight up rocket launched by one of their own. Right, <laughs> running on a tightrope with that was cool. Nothing, with no yeah. no issues whatsoever. Right. Yeah, like pulling pulling a freaking Ty Lee from Avatar: The Last Airbender, just like not even <laughs> thinking straight. Yeah, but, just a complete like lack of like physics um, yeah. recognition, but also doing you know, it in a funny way. He's been doing this thing for like, a while. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> <laughs> doing it in a funny way with making uh, two Mercedes crash into each other with their. <laughs> <laughs> but I laughed my ass off at that. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like Looney Tunes. <laughs> you know, uh, as to why all the Mercedes look alike, I got two words for you. Howard Lockwood. You're oh saying God. it's Mama again? No, we're not I creating mean, another Pepe Sylvia yes. board. I'm done with this. Okay. It all goes back to Mama. <laughs> I knock on the door no, and I go, Carol. No, I'm kidding. It's it's probably not Mama. Yeah. That that's Christmas episode. It is actually Doctor Budweiser from Part Three. Doctor Pepper. Oh, it's a Doctor Budweiser. Wait a minute, <laughs> Doctor Pepper. Or or as the uh, subtitles call him, Doctor uh, Badwalzer. But I like Budweiser better. <laughs> Wait a minute. The name. Well, that's beer. I don't like the beer. I don't like, I like any beer. I'm going to contribute to this if that's the character I think it is. Okay, so Dr. Budweiser. Dr. Budweiser. Yes, so his his the, the shape of Dr. Budweiser's head looks a little familiar. So all I'm saying oh is, is that all, all these Mercedes remove their wig and reveal the dickheads. <laughs> there it is. Oh, God. The dickheads are behind everything. You heard it here first on Cybers and Cigarettes. The dickheads are in everything. That's what you mean. <laughs> oh, boy. It's all um, connected, unfortunately. <laughs> I love the unfortunately in that. We regret to inform you. It's all connected. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one thing I, one thing I really enjoyed about this was that, like, I always get a little worried with some writers who handle Lupine, like, I'm sure y'all know what I mean. Like with some TV specials in some episodes, some folks just don't know how to handle every member of the gang, like all well. Oh, sometimes, yeah. like there'll be somewhere it's like maybe Lupin, Jigen, and Fujiko written perfectly, but Goemon and Nagata are just like either barely in it or misused yeah. horribly. This episode right. I really appreciated because, yeah. like, I, I was worried for a minute because, like, they, they make a really funny comment about Goemon, like, being away training. I thought that was kind of cute because, you know, Lupin calls him the bushy boy and he's out, like, you know, training, which was cute. I thought, like, okay, I guess, like, you know, they didn't <laughs> know how to, like, I, I guess they didn't know how to incorporate Goemon. And literally at the moment where I went, man, I wish Goemon would be in this. Literally, he walks through the door of the apartment. I'm like, hey, <laughs> this episode is amazing. There he is, the boy. <laughs> like, right when I asked that question, he showed up. That's the default when you can't write Guaymon well, because as you know, even in my own fanfics, it's like, I don't know how to include him. What do I say? Oh, he's training. Okay. Because that is pretty common. It's like, right. if you don't include Guaymon, just put the excuse that he's training. Yep. I mean, it's... And, and it's honestly, it, <laughs> you know, honestly, it works. I think if, I think if there's a uh, member of the cast that 
you cannot figure out a way to work into the story, then don't. I'd rather right. them not be there than be used yep. badly. Yeah. You know, yep. We all saw the uh, Lupin III versus Detective Conan TV special. Mm. Oh, yeah. Honestly, that one would have been better served if Goemon did not appear at all. Yeah. Agreed. Because, yep. agreed. And we, because we just talked his, about Albert, too, last week, like being yeah. misused. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's just, oh, Albert was totally misused, and, and that hurt me because I, I love him. But. You know, he's not part of the polycule, so I can't really complain about it. Um, he's honestly like he's honestly a thrown to the side character. So again, it's it's different when it's when it's the the actual five. Cause again, you you can't you know, it's it's either Goemon or Zenigata that gets the we cannot write for you treatment. And it sucks either way, kinda like, you know, Nostradamus, they do Zenigata dirty. Um oh, big time. Dragon of Doom, they do Zenigata dirty. And yep. then there's just stories where majority of the time they do Goemon dirty and I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm like fucking well, I'm like fucking the Godfather, you know, like look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> well, see, it's like you know, I, that's one thing that I appreciate about Jigen's gravestone. Mm-hmm. Is that there was no room for Goemon or Zenigata in that story. Right. So they didn't even bother. Like they said it before Goemon had joined the gang. And then I gotta get a, you know, an MCU style cameo in the post credits bit, mm-hmm. which still doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, he's not involved in the main story at all, which I'm okay with that. It's like I'd rather them be used exactly. not at all instead of being used badly. No, yeah, yeah. And, and like the, the same thing also applies in that Goemon's blood spray where Fujiko is there for the time she needs to be, but then she just said one moment goes, <laughs> right. "You guys are dumb. I'm leaving." And just goes and does yeah, her own exactly. stuff because she's got better things to do. <laughs> yeah, and it's completely valid. Right. She literally walks out of the movie. <laughs> she's she's like, like, she just says, I'm done with this movie. I'm out. Yeah. She basically yeeted, she yeeted herself out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> yep. Again, you know, as long as you're not being used badly, I'm okay with them not appearing at all. And mm-hmm. I love all five of these characters a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Agreed. But yeah, like that's, that's something else. You know, I always go back to the manga on this because this is my thing, damn it. But something I really appreciate about Monkey Punch's works that he does not use all five characters in every chapter. Agreed. Like there's I mean, some there's chapters like, where Lufan himself doesn't appear. Almost, there's almost like no way you could. Right. Like it would just be like too much. Yeah, especially considering you know the limited amount of you know pages he had to work with every week. Mm-hmm. Well, I I kind of think of it like um, you guys remember um, the cartoon. It was one of my favorites actually as a kid. Um, X Men Evolution. Yes, yes. Um, my guy, I love that show. So you remember how like in the second season they brought in the newer um, the newer students. They, um, the and they yeah. were like all secondary characters from like um, the X Men comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then after the cataclysmic event that ends season two, you see in season three that a couple students um, were returned to their parents after after this event. And I remember reading in some like linear notes or like some behind the scenes with the producers or with the writers, like what what was the decision in, in getting rid of Jubilee or getting rid of Wolfsbane? And, and they literally said, we had too many characters to write for. And, and when you yeah. want to include certain characters at some point, you cannot write for all of them. So we just decided in order to make the story make sense, 
it would make sense as a parent if during this cataclysmic event, you're like, okay, well, I don't want my kids in the school right. anymore. So I'm going to pull right. them out. Um, and, and, and yeah, that's how I kind of see it, especially once again, as a fanfic writer, when you, when I have so many OCs included with the original Lupin gang, there's been instances where I just can't write for everybody. And it's like, okay, Lupin, you're going on vacation or Goemon, you're going on vacation because right. yeah, I'd rather, I mean, I'd rather they have excuses for not being there than them being used in a shitty way. I wonder how they do that in My Hero because there's so many. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah. As There's someone so who, as, as an author of a webcomic with an ensemble cast, that's something I run into a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. it was like, does this character really need to be in the story? No. Okay, then fine. I won't write them. <laughs> because I have three main characters. It doesn't really matter if anybody else appears. Let's see. So I, I would say, like, overall, pretty solid for us all around. Well, I'm pretty solid. Like, like yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly positive really on really this episode. Like, Very yeah, strong. I'm excited start. to see where it goes from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm excited, but I'm trepidatious. Yeah, so. right. yeah. I'm like, like trying like, not to get too, too pumped, but yeah, like, I, I, I it's kind of like how I felt over my Switzerland trip. Like, I was super excited on the inside, but I was trepidatious because you know the state of the world and and COVID. Right. Um, when I saw Bob Seger a few years ago, I was like, there's no way this old dude can still rock. He still rocked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, okay, it's okay to be excited for things, but it's also okay to be cautious and trepidatious. And I'm only saying that after what happened with um, the Lupin versus Sherlock. Like, right. if this becomes the better overarching storyline for part six, I will be happy. Yeah. If it doesn't, I won't be too viscerally. I won't be too viscerally upset. I'll just, you know, I'll say my piece and be done with it. But other than that, mm-hmm. this was a really good intro to it. So we, yeah, we've this- all been this fandom long enough to know that there's been far worse. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I personally, I think this was a great start to this arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really solid episode overall. I really don't have much to complain about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't wait for next week. Oh, this week, yeah. And happy birthday, Drew! Hey, this will yeah, this episode <laughs> will be out two days after my birthday. This will be released. So, this, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Oh, it's my birthday! Happy oh, birthday, shit. Drew! Yeah, <laughs> 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 I wasn't just saying that. Happy birthday, Drew! I thought we were going to talk this entire time. I was like, "Oh, thank you!" Oh, <laughs> happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. We wish it was our birthday so we could party too. Ole! <laughs> <laughs> um, Emperor, yeah, I, Emperor's new group. <laughs> But I'm, I'm actually looking forward to the next episode because it's going to be set like it's going to be set in Mexico, and I noticed that like it's all like this desert setting, which like I, I may be off base here. And Chris, you, you you can help me out here, but like one thing I noticed with like a lot of old like either Monkey Punch artwork or artwork inspired by Monkey Punch is always Lupin and the gang out in like a desert-ish area. If that makes any sense, yeah, especially in shit. Especially in Shin Lupin, he seems to spend a lot of time in desert. So I've noticed. So like, it, yeah, it, I like, mean, it feels like his it's natural it's very habitat. Evo- <laughs> to be fair, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very, it's very evocative of like what um, westerners and cowboy films. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm excited to see. It reminds me of the the Monkey Magic music video too. Like has that kind of similar oh, thing that's to so, it. That one's so good. Yeah. Which you know, like I said, is probably Monkey Punch probably defaults to the desert because it's you know easy to draw most likely. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I I did a chapter of my web comic set in the desert, and I had so much fun drawing that scenery because it wasn't much to draw. It was great. <laughs> I, for one, am excited that they're going to Mexico because as, you know, as being part Mexican myself, it makes me happy when there are storylines, you know, done in Mexico when it's not um, stunningly, when it's not stunningly dated or racist or anything. Not right. saying that it's intentional because, right. again, it, it's done in another country. It's just, it will rub people wrong in a certain way. But I'm excited they're going to Mexico, so... Mm-hmm. I just want, like, put in some cute Mexican women in the episode or put in some, like, scenery. Like, make them go make them go to Mexico City and have tacos, for fuck's sake. Like, come on. Yeah. Indeed. Let them go watch a wrestling match. That'd be great. Yeah! yeah make them watch oh, fucking yeah. a luchador match. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yet, give us a luchador villain. Get El Santo in there or something. Yeah. Hell yeah! Give us a give us a villain inspired by El Santo. That'd be great. Yes. Oh, 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 oh. oh. if they don't do it, I'm gonna fucking write that shit. Do it. I'll read it. And I'll I will happy. read it. <laughs> I love El Santo. He's great. So guys, um, I you guys know I'm like super jet lagged, and I just got back from my two week vacation in Switzerland. I did get a lot of gifts for you guys. For Emma, I got you a bottle of Kirsch. For Chris, I got you some very delicious cheese. And for Drew, um, I got you this interesting letter. Um, I don't know what it is, but you might want to open it. All right, let's move, let me let me crack it open here. Just let me hand it through the uh, thing here. Um, let's check it out. <clears throat> Greetings, Lupanti folks, and welcome back to our weekly review of Lupin the Third Part Six. We have left the city of London and are now opening the second half of the series, focused on a roast of women all linked by a mysterious secret or a secret mystery. Take your pick. What matters is that this episode is quite the banger. The opening animation had some minor but significant changes. The first and last visuals are not bathing in that dark red filter anymore, and we can see Lupin firing at us in all his Technicolor glory. This change is probably due to the fact that this new storyline does not play on Lupin's ambivalence as much as the previous one. More importantly, we get a new ending. Bitter Rain. While I might not be a huge fan of the singer's voice, I'm sure it will grow on me once I listen to it more. But where the ending truly shines is in the art direction. Mostly monochromatic with some heavy film-like texture and red highlights. It is very much a film noir aesthetic. It also reminded me of classic 1950s French cinema, with the woman, possibly Fujiko, wearing big sunglasses and a scarf hiding her hair. The focus on a ring gem reminds me a bit of Part 5's ending animation, so maybe themes of unhappy love stories will play a part in this storyline. But enough about openings and endings, let's get to the episode proper. The gang is now settled in a very American-looking city. Possibly New York. 
This choice of location already helps making it different from the first half and gave me a bit of a first contact energy, which is always a plus. In a recent interview, the new story composer, Shigeru Murakushi, said that he wanted to focus on the little character moments between the main thieves, stating that this is what makes the franchise so special. And I will say he succeeded right from the get-go. The first conversation with Lupin and Jigen and Van Fujiko felt very much in tone with their usual interactions. And it's always a pleasure to see our favorite thieves in more mundane and domestic situations. Come to think of it, this was one of Lupin's most striking aspects, starting with part one. Another thing we learned from the Murakoshi interview is that he wants to make references to previous installments. Again, he does not waste time, and we get the Cagliostro arm wrench, the Napoleon card game from part 1, the iconic running pose when Lupin is chasing after Mercedes, and even the Beetle drones are reminiscent of similar devices from the Fuma clan conspiracy. Clearly, the director loves the franchise as a whole. Callbacks like these can sometimes feel like cheap pandering. <coughs> the Force Awakens. <coughs> but in this episode, they are discreet enough or pertinent enough as to not distract us from the action. Speaking of easter eggs, I liked how Holmes made an appearance in a newspaper article that Lupin is reading. Not only is it funny to see Lupin fed up with Holmes' rising success, but it helps linking the two halves of part 6, so that the spectator does not feel too disoriented. We learn that an auction will soon take place in town, and this auction includes a very strange item a blood-red diamond that Lupin recognizes as belonging to Arsène Lupin's own collection of stolen items that only one woman ever managed to penetrate. <laughs> Phrasing. Sorry. We quickly understand that the woman in question, Tomoe, is none other than Lupin III's mother, and that she herself was a talented thief. If the brutal Mercedes is to be believed, Lupin was a disciple of Tomoe's, which makes Lupin the holder of not just Arsène's legacy, but also Tomoe's in terms of thievery. This allows for some form of equality in the Lupin household, and possibly some more intimate ties with Lupin's Japanese heritage. Lupin is not just Arsène's grandson anymore, but the heir of two criminal bloodlines. This aspect reminded me of Gosho Aoyama's Magic Kaito, his most popular creation other than Detective Conan. Kaito Kuroba is a second-year high school student who takes on the disguise of gentleman thief Kaito Kid and steals jewels while trying to solve the mystery behind his father's death, who was the original Kaito Kid. In recent years, we learn that Kaito Kid's mother was also a thief with a thing for theatrics, called Phantom Lady. Considering how many times Aoyama referenced Lupin and that we had two crossovers between Lupin and Detective Conan, I would not be surprised if making Tomoe a mentor to her son was borrowed from Magic Kaito. The episode also introduces several other female characters. We have the new ICPO operative, Aliana, who doesn't do much during this episode, though she does emphasize the changing, more feminine world we live in when it comes to the workforce, including the police. You would be surprised at the percentage of police women in Switzerland, by the way. 
I really hope she will get more occasions to interact with Zenigata and Nyata along the way. And who knows, maybe she has some secrets of her own. We also meet the innocent-looking Matia, a florist, which Lupin approaches in disguise in order to plan his heist. From her Clarice-like physique to her longing for new experiences in her life, she first appears as the classic ingenue type. Still, I really liked Matia and Lupin's interactions, showing that, even if it's all part of a scheme, Lupin is able to show kindness to a young girl. It feels to me like Lupin is a metaphorical unicorn. Let me explain. Like the legendary animal, he is a beast attracted to innocence. The fact that she is put in danger because of Lupin's actions will certainly create some good old-fashioned moral dilemma to their dynamic. Because it's not all sunshine and rainbows, this episode introduces some pretty dangerous foes in the form of the deadly Elvila Gang, an army of women all made to look like their leader, the beautiful and cold Mercedes. Their brutal disruption, firing at innocence, justifies Lupin's more lethal actions. The average fan will have to accept that Lupin can sometimes shoot at women, if they represent a true destructive threat. In that respect, the cold opener did give me a bit of a shock, but as we backtrack to the chain of events that led to this chase, I understood Lupin's actions more. Since the previous half was filled with literary references, I wonder if Mercedes' name isn't a reference to the fiancé of Edmond Dantes from The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. Because yes, Mercedes is not just the name of a car. Considering how much Dumas was an influence on Monkey Punch, this isn't too far-fetched. However, Mercedes in the novel is a tragic and relatively harmless figure, so the link with this deadly red-headed character is a bit thin, and I apologize if I am interpreting too much. The episode ends on a cliffhanger, after showing the rest of the new supporting cast of women all witnessing the rooftop chase between Lupin and Mercedes, either from the street, the window, a phone screen, or a television post. It is an easy technique to introduce multiple characters into a storyline, but still an effective one. Among these women, only one does not show her face. We only see her hand, showing signs of age, coming out from a pale, large sleeve, in front of an old-looking TV monitor. Now, I know that I am a bit of a compulsive theorist, but since I guessed that Lestrade was indeed the Raven's executioner early on, I think I can confidently deduce that this old lady's hand belongs to none other than Tomoe herself. Lupin states that Tomoe died long ago, but the first rule of Lupin, which is the same as for Doctor Who, is that Lupin lies. Plus, it would be pretty underwhelming if the whole mystery surrounding Tomoe did not include her being alive in order to give the audience some confrontation between mother and son in the climax. Overall, this was a very, very good episode. I will always defend the Raven's Ark, even if I am in a minority, but I cannot deny that episode 13 is a stronger opener overall, even in terms of animation. It was well-paced, with a healthy balance of exposition and action, and was focused on our main characters, which wasn't really the case during the Raven arc, I must admit. In other words, it felt like classic Lupin III. And while I love to play the contrarian, classic Lupin is all I want at the end of the day.
You see, I'm an average Joe. However, I do not think this new arc will just be classic. The focus on women and their relationship with Lupin already promises to explore some pretty new territory. Women in the Lupin franchise are a fascinating topic of debate and analysis, but one thing is sure. It's that the series has not explored all the different possibilities, and this new plot about Lupin's mother might just be what the franchise needs to continue and stay relevant. After all, a mother's relationship with a son will influence his conception of other women, whether by emulation or, on the contrary, by trying to reject the maternal model. The simple fact that the series turned Lupin's mother from a self-effacing, undefined silhouette into a talented burglar is already a step into a new and interesting direction. And, you know, even if it's a bit of a Freudian cliché, it might explain Lupin's attraction to Fujiko, who herself is a talented thief. That's all for me, Lupantic folks. You can find me on Twitter at William Barbey, B-A-B-E-Y, on Deventart and ArtStation as Shin Red Deer, S-H-I-N-R-E-D-D-E-A-R, and you can even commission me or send me a tip on my coffee, also under Shin Red Deer. Next time we fly to Mexico for what might be a classic caper, but we might also see Matya again and maybe learn more about the terrifying El Vila gang. Until next time, stay safe, Lupantic folks. And remember, if mama angry, mama spank. You know, I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting a little bit better at that. And uh, thank you, Guillaume, for the, uh, for, for the input. Very, 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 very wise insight, as per usual. So, Emma, where can we find you? So you can find me at my Twitter, um, Emma Wolf two two seven. That's E M M A W O L F E. Um, post a big stream of my brain at uh, all times, except for when I'm sleeping. Like I said in the last episode, <laughs> sometimes I post an opinion before I go to sleep and then turn my phone off just to see what happens. That's probably wise. And that's always a fun thing to wake up to. You can also find me at Instagram at mwolf227. Um, most of my cosplays are posted on there. And if you can find me on Discord, I don't know what my number is. <laughs> I can never remember that. So uh, I'm pretty much on most social media. You just got to find me. Uh, but those are the two, the ones listed are the two that I'm most active on. All righty. Chris, where can we find you? Yo. <laughs> um, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. Uh, you can find my webcomic, Weird in a Can, at www.weirdinacan.com. Still really proud that I have that URL. You can also find me on Instagram, Newgrounds, and a few other places at Amazing Chris Godby. That's a G O D B E Y. And Natalie, where can we find you? Back in sunny California. I'm a little sad, but I am happy to be home because, like, the first thing I did was grab an In N Out burger <laughs> the minute I got off, <laughs> off of the plane. Um, but you can find me on Les Twitters at Captain, well, no, at Cap C A P L I H E W L S I N G. Uh, you can find me on the Instas. Um, I'll post more pics from my trip 
kind of like when you're on vacation, you forget to post on social media a little bit, but I will post new photos, show you Burn and Neuchâtel and Le Chutefant at Captain C A P T A I A. A-I-N. Oh, God, I am tired. L-I-H-L-S-I-N-G. Holy shit, yeah. Jet lag is no joke, you guys. Neither is altitude sickness. But either way, I wouldn't have traded my two weeks of vacation for nothing. It was a wonderful experience. So, yeah, just look me up on there. Um, I'm not posting my Discord. I need at least some sense of anonymity. (laughs) Plus, I to quote Mr. Krabs, I have a life. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> and of course drew um birthday boy where can we Ooh. find you and our podcast now that you're older and wiser ah <laughs> uh, yes ah uh, yes that much closer to death uh. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. hey who is i like it i like it <laughs> <laughs> He's just becoming Grandpa Simpson over there, you know, just like I used to be with it. <laughs> then they change what it was. No, it's the children that are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's me now, just permanently. <laughs> Get off my lawn, kids. But no, you, you, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. That's at D-R-E-W-H-U-N-T-E-R-1-5. You can find our podcast on Twitter at LupinPod. That's L-U-P-I-N-P-O-D. You can find us on Instagram at the same at. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you, if you, if you feel the need to, scroll on down and... Give us a, a rating and review. Any any stars would do, but you know, you know, you know the one you got to do. It's his birthday. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, his birthday. it's my birthday. Hey, come on, five stars. For <laughs> yeah, birthday, leave him that cinco and tell him happy birthday. Tell him I don't know, happy birthday. I want to punch you in the face. I don't know. Just <laughs> just put something. And on that note, <laughs> we will see you next week, Lupontic folks. And also, Emma. Thank you for joining us again. It has been an absolute blast. It's been a treat. Thank you again, Emma. Yes, no, it's been great. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about this episode with y'all. Hell yeah. And yeah, now on that note, see you (laughs) next week with Pontic Folks. Good night. Bye. Next time on Sideburns and Cigarettes. TMS stole my fanfiction plot, so let's see how well they work with it. <laughs> I'm still on about that. La cucaracha, la cucaracha, buono que mia. Oh my god, is this gonna be a good arc? Is this gonna be. Please. Okay, alright, I'm here for it. Please, please don't. This is all I have. This is all I have left. Don't do this to me. Next week, next week on Sideburns and Cigarettes, I'm hungover. <laughs> <laughs>